Cult Podcast features adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Now please, enjoy the show. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these these are are our opinions. opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have Andrea Gazzetta. Yay! And it is Armando's week. It's my week. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So uh, today, <sighs> I'm really excited because I get to bring you something that uh, Andrea and I got to actually experience firsthand uh, over this Thanksgiving. I am so excited about this. Yeah. So uh, Racism? <laughs> oh yeah we we uh andrea and i for free for uh for reference or i guess clarification there we go uh andrea and i went to new orleans louisiana over the thanksgiving break uh and our first day there we went to a restaurant and a woman referred to me as both hey boy <laughs> and then also said the phrase i don't want to be racist but i'm pretty sure you're one of them arabs oh god <laughs> So it was oh, like, no. it's like the first time where I was like, one, I'm so surprised that you don't know what a Mexican is. <laughs> You're and right then, across the gulf. Yeah, and then two, it's just like, how are you? How are you that? Like, how am I offended for Arabic people? How is the fucking? <laughs> yeah, she was really dumb. Uh, she also kept on calling every man daddy. Oh, it was no. deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, but. Ooh. We while we were in New Orleans, um, we were able to take a lot of tours around the city, see a lot of sights. So let me just uh, paint the picture for you. The French were the first to colonize Louisiana as La Louisiane Française, a part of New France. However, the culture of modern-day Louisiana is not merely birthed from the influence of stinky cigarette-scented bread eaters. Uh, it also drew influence from its Spanish rule. The enslavement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring it on. No, no, no. Oh, you gotta realize there's a there's a lot of French, and I get a fucking heyday of making fun of some some fucking baguettes. Uh, it also drew influence from its Spanish rule, the enslavement of African people, the migration of Acadians who eventually became Cajuns, the growing population of mixed-race people known as Creole, and the eventual modern American culture that enveloped us all. All of these things heavily influenced the rich history of our 18th state. This melding of heritage gave us some of the most iconic traditions America has to offer. But today, we're covering one of the most infamous, most feared, and most misunderstood traditions to be forged in the melting pot of Louisiana. We're covering New Orleans Voodoo. typically think of not necessarily a cult yeah but we thought it would be interesting to cover anyway i will see this over this episode because this is kind of a different type of episode where uh 
Voodoo isn't really a cult. It's just kind of thrown in. We've gotten some requests to do voodoo. Um, we've also, like, while we were in Louisiana and we told people that we ran a podcast about cults, they said that we should cover some voodoo cults, but I don't really consider voodoo to be a cult. And we'll kind of go through where voodoo comes from and uh, also how Louisiana voodoo or New Orleans voodoo is completely unique in of what it is there is it is different from all other types of voodoo it's completely different so i kind of just want to get into it you guys good yeah Yeah. i mean i feel like this is kind of what we ran into with santeria when we did the narco satanicos episode where it's like is santeria itself a cult no was this one group a cult and using the beliefs of santeria yes exactly yeah so a little bit of history In 1709, Antoine Croizat was given a 15-year trade monopoly in La Louisiane Francaise. The part of this deal allowed him to bring a cargo of enslaved people from Africa every year, effectively introducing slavery into Louisiana. Gross. Yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. This guy's a piece of shit who is essentially the Donald Trump of uh, this era, who is just like, he made a couple good trade deals and then just kind of coasted off that for a while. Gross. Um, How was his hair situation? Yeah. It's pretty funny. He's got one of you're you got to realize we're in the 1700s, so everyone pretty much has that central, just like a big old dumb wig. (laughs) Um, In the north, in the north of America, obviously, families taken from their homes and made to be slaves were often divided into different plantations. However, in Louisiana, there were relatively less slave owners. Not to be confused with less slaves. Just less people own bigger amounts of slaves. Okay. So, uh, in fact, French colonists were actually the third largest slave traders at the time. So, it's not... I'm not saying that they're, like... They owned less slaves. In fact, uh, according to a census of 1732, slaves outnumbered European colonists two to one in France. Wow. Or in New France, rather. In Louisiana, families, cultures, and languages were kept more intact and were able to continue among the enslaved people because they were kept in bigger groups as opposed to being split up between different plantations. Gotcha. The majority of slaves that the French trafficked to Louisiana were Fanu, uh, also known as Fan people. It's an ethnic and linguistic group from West Africa. Although this is not to downplay the many other ethnic groups that were involved in the enslavement perpetrated by the French colonists and also other people who made slaves. This is just pure and simple. France had colonies in West Africa and it was just like, eh, this is right near where we are. Let's just take them and ship them over. Yeah, that's why in some parts of West and West and North Africa, they still speak French. Exactly. Yeah. And stuff like this will come in later as um, saint Domingue also known as Haiti, will come into play later. The Fanu practiced a religion known as Voudan, which is a form of ancestor veneration or worship. Although rituals and exact beliefs vary from tribe to tribe, the basic constant belief is that there is a supreme god named Bondi, which is derived from the French Bon Dieu, which means good god, which is, uh, uh, yeah. Which, like, when I read that, the first thought that I had was like, who's a good god? Who's a good god? Who created the entire (laughs) Who's a good god? Uh, practitioners of Udon believe that Bondi created the universe, the Loa, and human beings, and also everything else in the world. And after creating it, Bondi retired far above the sky and left management of all earthly matters to the Loa. So Bondi essentially created everything into existence. 
and then Lathaloa, these spiritual entities whose domain extend over all natural elements, they're basically Earth's assistant managers, is what it is. It's just... <laughs> kind of like Catholicism with saints. Yeah. Actually, the concept is almost exactly similar to Catholic practice of praying to saints, Although, uh, it's also similar to the New Orleans practice of praying for the saints to not suck every year. Hey! That's a fucking sports joke for you. Hey! I'm a sports guy over here. What is that? Baseball? Hey! Uh, no. Unlike angels and saints in Catholicism, the Loa aren't just prayed to, they are served. So, each Loa is a distinct being with its own personal likes, dislikes, distinct sacred rhythms, songs, dances, and rituals used for its service. So more like a Greek pantheon of deities, where you've got, like, Zeus, who's, like, the big guy, or rather Kronos, like the Titans, who are above the Olympians, and then the Olympians kind of govern your, like, harvest or whatever, and they all have personality traits and you would cater to those traits so sort of the way that it differs is that bondi is god essentially the supreme creator of everything he retired and does not cater to the whims of humans anymore but he still is in charge of everything okay so these people work as um intermediaries between us and uh a kind of neglectful god in a way the loai Yeah, the Loa. So they don't actually do anything unless they, it's like simple things and they have the power to do stuff. But more often than not, they're intercessors. Yes. Okay. So it's similar and different to both of those things. But because it's so similar, that actually will come into play later where it's super easy to um, mix two different religions because they see how they can fit together. Which we kind of saw with Santeria. Yeah. Similarly, where oh, yeah. well, they come from an, an, a similar origin religion, correct? Santeria and uh, Vudan? Yeah. S- yes and no. Um, what happens is Vudan... Well, we'll get into it later. Okay. Uh, Vudan talismans called fetishes uh, are objects such as statues, dried animal, or human parts, and charms made from herbs... Or Quentin Tarantino's bed shaped like a foot. Uh, <laughs> true. Different story. <laughs> Allegedly? No, that's true. <laughs> he prays to it every night to the foot god for, I don't know, powerful orgasm. <laughs> I don't know. More power to him. Ah, yeah. The, the, worst, the only thing I would think that would suck about having a foot fetish is getting that call of somebody being like, hey, man, I don't know how to tell you this, but... I got athlete's foot, so I just, I'm calling everyone. Uh, <laughs> Activate the phone tree. Yeah. Get your shower flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So the fetishes uh, are objects like statues, dried animal or human parts, or charms made from herbs created in a ritual fashion that are inhabited by spirits and are used both to heal, protect, or harm individuals, and also used to summon various loa when used in shrines. So, something really interesting about Vudan is that creation is seen as divine. Not just the creation of everything, but the creation of these talisman is done in a ritualistic way that is divine in and of itself. The act of creating these talismans is powerful to them. 
Okay, so just creation is divine regardless of who's doing it. Exactly. Which is another thing that we'll see with uh, Vudan and later in Voodoo is that uh, people at the highest level of this religion are oftentimes uh, Voodoo priestess. It's oftentimes a woman and... In Vudan or different um, iterations of Vudan, the, instead of Bandai, it's actually a woman who is the mother that birthed all of us. Hmm. And so we'll see this within Voodoo a lot is that um, the role of a strong uh, female is actually put on like the top pedestal. Hmm. Or pedestal might be a terrible way of describing it. They're just usually the most important. They're person. a matriarchal religious society. Yes. Uh In 1724, the French issued a new law called Code Noir, which sounds really cool, but it just translates to Black Code. It is a legislation that regulates the treatment of slaves in Louisiana. So um, when you listen to a lot of podcasts about people like Madame LaLaurie, often known as the Murder Madame, the one who kept the slaves in her attic... Um, and did these horrible things. She's also in American Horror Story Coven, I think it is. She's played yeah, by she's Kathy played Bates. Yeah, she's played by Kathy Bates, yeah. When you, when you hear podcasts about that, you read stories about Louisiana, or you go on god-awful ghost tours that you pay $80 for, um, <laughs> you will... Actually, I think ours was 40 and it was pretty fun. Laszlo's pretty cool. It was $32 because we didn't have enough money. That's true. But when you go on these things, you hear about Code Noir, which is the legislation put in place to control how uh, people treated their slaves. There are, and this is what a lot of people focus on, there were a lot of good things that came from Code Noir. Like, you couldn't kill your slaves. You couldn't outright punish them in a way that was deemed to be too far. You had to feed them. You had to clothe them. You had to take care of them. In some instances, depending on how much they worked, you had to pay them. Uh, They had to have at least one day off, which was Sunday, to um, rest. And they also uh, had had to have some form of education, either in reading and writing or um, in Catholicism, to learn about uh, Catholicism. That's the part people tend to focus on. The part that they don't tend to focus on is the fact that it actually outlawed things like freeing your slaves. It also outlawed multi... uh, or interracial marriages. It, it, It really didn't... It, it did put a lot of good things into place of how we were supposed to treat people, but it was also like they were regarded as slaves and still property. Like, for instance, uh, Madame LaLaurie in 1800s, she was in violation of uh, Code Noir when she chased a little girl that was her slave. This little girl was brushing her hair. And she accidentally hit a snag in her hair, and Madame Lalaoui got so upset that she took a bullwhip and chased this little girl around the house until they got on the roof of her building, and the little girl fell off of the roof and plummeted to her death. And Madame Lalaoui just looked at her body with disgust and then went back inside and left the body until two other slaves came back and took it inside and took care of it. But for this, she was punished by having to pay $300 and uh, give up a couple of her slaves, 
which she later had her family buy back and give back to her. That's so gross. Yeah. So Code Noir put in a lot of things that were put in place to help people. But it's important to remember that you could still treat people like shit because they were seen as property. So Well, it's just like a lot of the laws that exist here, like even like work laws here. Like we have OSHA, we have different organizations that are supposed to help workers, but they kind of don't because they're not enforceable or the fines aren't expensive or large enough to actually stop employers from violating those laws. So, right. but in this case, someone can't just leave a job they don't like. They're just, they just die. Well, the you thing know, is, it's like super horrible. The thing is, is that um, slaves had days off where they could go around town. Like they weren't just trapped in a stable or anything. They were like, you could do whatever you wanted on your day off. Ooh, hooray. One whole day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were allowed to like, you could go to people who you trusted and tell them about the mistreatment and if somebody came around and saw people being mistreated it was punishable by law and you would have your slaves taken away so there were some options for slaves to have recourse for terrible owners but like i said they're still pieces of shit who own slaves so fuck them article two of code noir required slave owners to teach their slaves catholicism which is why they got sundays off and was usually used as education because people didn't want their slaves to learn how to read and write so Another big part of Udon was ancestor worship, and practitioners of Udon believe that the spirit world exists side by side with our world, and that spirits can be conjured into our realm, so the introduction of saints were just kind of seen as a new set of ancestors available for worship, especially, you guys kind of know this, some saints are the saint of blank. Yeah, yeah. So I grew it, up Catholic, so that's, and yeah. I also make windows for Catholic people mostly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, we... So you could see, like, how if you have somebody that is the saint of... What's, like, one of the ones? Top of your head. Charles Borromeo, saint of architecture. Saint of architecture. So you can pray to him, and then if your um, offers are taken, he'll come and ruin any conversation by talking about how buildings look. <laughs> and he'll, he's the patron saint of boring-ass conversations. Um, That's not... Yeah, works, well, I was thinking, okay. like, St. Christopher... Saint of Travel, I believe, which is why they used to give soldiers St. Christopher medallions. Oh, yeah. So, see, if you prayed to St. Christopher and you gave him a good offering, he would come and give you, like... A horrible slideshow about disease? his time at Burning Man. Oh, I was oh. going to say, yeah. I was going to say, like, double points on your uh, miles. <laughs> a great deal at Priceline.com. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the uh, that gnome is from those Travelocity commercials. That's Jesus, <laughs> the patron saint of saving money on your next flight. Um, <laughs> so the perceived compatibility of Udon and Catholicism led to syncretic religions like Haitian voodoo, spelled V-O-D-O-U, and New Orleans voodoo, spelled V-O-O-D-O-O. Hmm. Another part of Article 2 of Code Noir was making Sundays a rest day for slaves. I kind of already said that. But... Uh, also, like I already said, giving slaves a day off sounds like a nice thing, but just like most things in Code Noir, it's actually a backhanded nicety. So, on days off, slave owners, ho slave owners had no obligation to feed or take care of their slaves at all. What? Mm. Yeah. It was used as a day where you basically just like, uh, like fend for yourself day, essentially. But they also aren't people, so... And they aren't necessarily being paid, mm -mm. so they don't have money... So no. how do you eat food? Well, exactly. 
entering into the 1740s, the French colony suffered from economic crisis and owners had trouble feeding and caring for their slaves because, again, there's bigger numbers of slaves just in bigger groups. So people had to feed more people. So owners gave their slaves more days off in order to not have to feed or care for slaves on those days. What? Because they had more free time, uh, this actually gave the enslaved population more power because they were able to cultivate their own gardens, craft their own items, and join in on markets and sell their stuff and actually start to make their own money, becoming more uh, self-sufficient and independent from their slave owners. Hmm. So, because they were able to have more days off, quote-unquote, from having to work as a slave, they were given more opportunities to make their own money, and some of them were actually able to buy their freedom using their own profits. Oh, so in Code Noir, you couldn't set someone free, but they could buy their freedom. Um, The thing about Code Noir is that it's it's a code for all of the French colonies, Okay. So it's super fucking hard to enforce. So some people still tortured their slaves, a la Madame a la Laurie, but some people also were like, yeah, dude, if you have the fucking money, I'll set you free because I'm a piece of shit and all I really care about is money. And if you're going to give me money and you're one less mouth to feed, then we're fucking square. These are slave-owning pieces of shit. I don't really think that they give a fuck about following the law. So, using the profits from their own produce, or sometimes art endeavors, because some people were able to make uh, music, uh, some people were able to make actual art, some people just did performance stuff, and they were able to gain profits and buy their own freedom. There's also a population of mixed-race children known as the Creole, which are... um, This is something we learned while we were in New Orleans. Creole just refers to anyone who was either born here from parents not from here or anyone that was mixed race at all. It was just the French term for these people. But usually Creole people are uh, um, a slave having a baby with some form of white person. Hmm. Usually it's a slave mother and a white slave owner. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the word Creole that we learned translates to of high birth. So the idea is that the Creole people are people that have like like an ancestor heritage that is like nobility or like Not necessarily. Class. So Creole basically just translates. It's one of those words like um, the French have a lot of words like this, like uh, a certain uh, je ne sais quoi, which literally means like I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what, what to call it. The Creole can mean of high birth, which is usually what Creole people say it means, or it can just mean <laughs> somebody of mixed race, which is what the French said it meant. Okay. So it's just one of those things that's kind of like you can define it whatever way. Um, it's also a term that I'm using because, hey guys, history is so racist to read. Like, I'm reading articles and stuff from history books that are talking about, um, slaves and, and black people at the time, and they just straight up were like, yeah, I'm gonna use the word mulatto, because it's the best way to do it. And it's like, could have just put, like, mixed race people? Could have said literally anything else, but yeah, just go ahead and use a racial slur if you want. It's fucking terrible. So white colonists passed legislation that restricted the rights of black people, including those who were either free or of mixed race. The new laws made a rigid caste system composed of white colonists, or les blancs, on top, 
uh, freed slaves and the Creole, who are usually people who are uh, more educated. They know how to read. They know how to write. And then uh, the enslaved people were on the bottom. Um, no part of the French colony faced this issue more than St. Domingue, which is Haiti, uh, or would later become Haiti. By 1789, St. Domingue was the most profitable colony that France owned. It produced 60% of the world's coffee and 40% of the world's sugar. Wow, that's crazy. About Haiti, a French historian, Paul Fragosi, wrote... <clears throat> That's not what he said. Haiti was seething with hate. Whites, mixed race people, and black people loved each other. Each other. The poor whites could not stand the rich whites. The middle class whites were jealous of the aristocrats. Whites born in France looked down upon locally born whites. Mixed race people envied the whites, despised black people, but were despised by the whites. Freed people brutalized those who were still slaves. Haitians regarded those from Africa as slits as savages. Everyone quite rightly lived in terror of everyone else. Haiti was hell, but Haiti was rich. Hmm. Yeah, that was actually uh, a was, direct. Was that Korean? Mm. <laughs> no, that was a that was a direct audio quote from a wow. <laughs> French historian Paul Fergosi of seventeen. So he's Irish. <laughs> nah, no, nah, that was good. Come on, I it, spent, it was, no, it was good. It I was spent good. so long watching a video called "How to Speak French," and he was just like, "So what you want to do is be in the back of his throat and just be like, ah, oh, ah." Oh. Secondly, what you want to do is smoke tons of cigarettes and smell like shit. So You're doing great on the second part. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> so, just like in France itself, the colony of St. Domingue had a problem of brutalizing and suppressing a population that far outnumbered the ruling class. Because in 1789, whites and freed people were outnumbered by black slaves at a ratio of six to one. Damn. Yeah, the ratio of uh, of white slave owners, or just white people in Haiti at the time was like 40,000. And of black slaves, there's reported 425,000. So it's like over, what is that, 10 times the yeah. amount? Yeah, yeah. So on August 14th, 1791, Duty Bookman, a high priest of voodoo, gave the signal to revolt at a voodoo ceremony. On the night of August 21st, 1791, thousands of slaves in St. Domingue attended a secret voodoo ceremony as a tropical storm came in. As the lightning lit the sky and thunder shook the country, the slaves took the storm as a sign that Duty Bookman was right. That night, slaves began to kill their masters and plunge the colony into civil war. The enslaved people were able to take control of the entire northern province in an unprecedented revolt. The war lasted until 1804 and resulted in the independence of Haiti. It was Dang. it was a successful slave revolt that ended in the country. And the thing is, is the Haitians that were revolting were not asking to be independent because they were actually fighting on the side of France. Because at the time, what the slaves believed was that uh, the leader of France had actually declared that slaves were to be freed, and the governor of, of Saint-Domingue was hiding that order. I'm 
don't think that's right, but they still fought on the side of France, being like, we are on the right side of this. And then once they figured it out, they were like, oh, shit. Our bad. But also, we're free now. Yeah. So they fought for their freedom, and they fucking won, which is dope as shit. Hell yeah, dude. Following the Haitian Revolution, the lives of practitioners of voodoo in Louisiana became more difficult because the revolution was reportedly carried out by slaves possessed by a deity summoned by a voodoo ritual. So the French colonists became aggressive towards all voodoo rituals as a precaution. They basically thought that a bunch of demons got into them in Haiti, so when they saw people doing it in Louisiana, they were like, this isn't right. I smell like shit. (laughs) Baguette. Baguette. That's what they Comble mousse. They would pull out a baguette from their back and they would go, on guard! And then they would fight each other with bread. And then they'd be like, Où est la bibliothèque? Et maintenant le voyage à la supermarché. <laughs> I think that directly translates into... No, it's, it's just, where's the library? And now a trip to the supermarket. <laughs> The persecution of Louisiana slaves practicing voodoo led to further syncretism? Syncretism. Religious syncretization or syncretism. Yeah, between voodoo and Catholicism. Uh, The traditional Mm -hmm. rituals practiced heavily by their Haitian counterparts became less prevalent and were replaced by an increased use of amulets and charms. Basically, um, in Haiti... Their voodoo was different than Louisiana voodoo. And the cultures even were also different. So, um... The cultures were also separate. Haiti's an island. So there's not a lot of, like, Haitian people coming to Louisiana, especially after the revolution, right? That's not true. There was a huge migration of Haitians after the revolution because they were just, like, they heard that it was better in Louisiana. Okay. Also, the French took slaves from West Africa and Haiti and just brought them wherever the fuck they wanted to. Okay. Yeah, you you really can't underestimate how shitty the French are. I mean, I know I shit on the French, but, like, also at the time, uh, it wasn't just the French. It was also the Spanish and the English, but they were just... They didn't give a shit about slaves. They would take them wherever and put them wherever because they were they didn't consider them to be people. Right. So this is kind of a different episode of cult podcast because voodoo, like I said, it's not really a cult. At least no more a cult than like you could say Christianity is a cult, which I'm not. It's just a religion. That's all I'm saying. It's a religion practiced by West African uh, people who practice Vudan, and then it got molded by persecution from and introduction to Catholicism. But a lot of fear happened during the Haitian Revolution. Uh, mainstream religions started saying that it was uh, a form of Satanism that was meant to move over Catholicism and convert p- people to uh, the dark magic. And also, modern culture's obsession with the macabre, voodoo just kind of got itself, like, a reputation as the dark magic that flows through the streets of New Orleans. And I kind of get it. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is, like, when you go to New Orleans, especially when you walk through the narrow streets of the French Quarter, it's just a mix of neon signs, but then also buildings that were there in, like, the 1750s. It's also, like, a constant party but if you take one tour, they're like, yeah, that that's when the fire burnt down this entire city fucking twice. And then the floods came and everyone lost everything. It's just this weird, like, juxtaposition between fun and just constant death and sadness. Hmm. Um, and it's just kind of like, I just kind of get it because it's like, 
if magic was gonna exist anywhere, it seems like it could exist in New Orleans. It just has that feel to it. Hmm. Well, the other thing that we learned while we were there that was really interesting is that um, New Orleans was founded on swamp land, and they had to drain the swamps, and they had to build all these levees to kind of, like, make it a habitable place for people. Uh, But during that time, thousands and thousands of people died from malaria. So during that time, like, before they started importing African slaves... Um, they had Irish immigrants that were the, what are they, indentured servants that Mm -hmm. they were using as manual labor, but they died so heavily because their bodies weren't adapted to malaria and to that disease. They had no immunity to it. And so West African slaves were immune to those conditions and they were more profitable for the French. Yeah, that was the other thing is that like, um... As shitty as it is, the reason that in Louisiana they kept using African slaves was because return on investment, if you bring two groups of people over and one of them doesn't die, you're just going to keep using the one that doesn't die. It's a horrible way to look at people, but essentially, like, if the Irish hadn't died, they would just use the irish because they're they were thinking of it as a business they weren't i mean obviously they weren't considering that these are actual human beings no but no. also like the thing is is just they just used what they they thought they found a tool and they were like this one doesn't break it's a terrible way to look at people but that's how they thought of it at the time but i think that some of that the thing is is like they didn't really have medical science or a way to understand why that was it was just something that they noticed so that aspect also made i mean that's something that i could see being like a fearful aspect of other right like you see these people they don't really die they seem to be immune to something that you're not like they seem other they look different than you they practice this religion that seems scary quote unquote so there's like an othering or there's like a distancing between people where you're kind of like ascribing almost magical properties to a a whole race of people that you don't really understand i feel like that othering makes it easier to persecute people oh 100 percent. because you lose your empathy in that othering of that other person well and once slavery of someone that looks different than you becomes part of your culture it's easy to identify that class of person because they just look different whereas like irish like indentured servants could earn their freedom after seven years they could just go leave if they you know if they live that long if they made it they could just leave and they could blend into society they would still have their culture but over time like they become part of the mixing of just like white people right well and, and they're also white like i, I think yeah. that's a huge i think you're right that is a huge defining factor because even if like let's say for argument's sake that they treated the west Af- african slaves the same as the indentured servants they're the slaves can't take their skin off they will always be othered right and that's kind of what happened that's part of how the class that class system of slavery not classism but like this that sort of subjugation that separation like continued we see that in the south also like as it kind of well yeah this is i mean this is the whole argument with um dolezal rachel dolezal why transracial shouldn't be a thing because at the end of the day she can go back to being white whenever she wants and receive the privileges that come with that but somebody who's the opposite can't necessarily put on whiteness 
to fit their life and gain the privileges thereof. Especially not in 1790. 100%. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Something else that uh, is interesting to know is that um, kind of what I've been trying to harp on a lot here is that uh, Louisiana is this weird melting pot that a big thing that changes the way that the culture is is that the the reigns of Louisiana trade hands from French to Spanish to America in like something like 200 years. Yeah. So it changes yeah. so much and the influence, uh, like when we were looking at just straight, pure and simple architecture, they had these French influence homes and then when the Spanish came over, they were like, I don't like this shit. And so they just like added on to stuff that was already there that made it more their own. Well, and also and, there, were a, there was a lot of fire. So, but... Um, another type of person that uh, is kind of shows up here that sort of gets involved with voodoo, but not really because they're sort of different. And it's something that we learned a lot about was the Cajun people. Mm-hmm. So the Cajun people are Acadians, which was uh, essentially a spot in near Montreal, Quebec, I think, that area. And then they got cast out due to, I'm just going to gloss over it. People came in, they were like, hey, pledge your allegiance to us. And uh, the Acadians were like, no. Fuck off. And so they were like, then get out. And so then they like traveled throughout America. And at each point, they were just like run out of town until they got to like the swamps. And they were like, this, this is a good spot as any to set up. I'm just going to do it here. And then they set it up there. I can't do a Cajun accent. But. No. Um, so they're a type of people that were like, they're shit on by white people, Creole people, and, uh, different, like, subsects of the black people that were there because just no one understood them. And also, they stuck to themselves so much that they spoke French, but they spoke Cajun French, which Mm -hmm. is, like... If you speak French and hear Cajun French, it's, it's completely different. Yeah, and they also like it's a it's a language where I think he said only like twelve thousand people speak it now. It's a dying language. Yeah, it is a yeah, dying and language. It won't come back because there's like the subsets of like people that use it are so small. Well, because in the fifties there's this big push that like everyone's gonna speak English and you're only gonna speak English, so it's the only language people learned in schools. So Yeah, the- it's the reason why like my parents uh push were like pushed to learn English as opposed to Spanish. And then that's why my grandparents learned English instead of Italian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we're getting a way too far away from the point. So, uh, voodoo isn't a cult. Voodoo is just the misunderstood child of a culture questioning its origins, which is something that we kind of all do. And a culture that thought it was better than that culture trying to undermine them. That being said, how can we do a podcast about voodoo and not talk about the most famous citizen in New Orleans history, the voodoo queen, Marie Laveau? Yeah! So, um, one of New Orleans' most famous and possibly most loved citizens has become a legend by seemingly doing the impossible. It's Drew Brees, and he won the 2009 Super Bowl for the Saints. I'm bringing it back. Hey, I'm a sports guy over here. So he's, wait, he's, he plays like tennis? or <laughs> These jokes are for one listener's, like, roommate that just, walks, <laughs> that just walks by, and they're just like, did that guy say fucking Drew Brees? I fucking love Drew Brees, dog. Anyway. 
The voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, was probably... Oh, yeah, this is also something I should get into. So, with uh, Marie Laveau, we don't know a lot for certain. We know what is uh, rumor, and we know what we have from records. And sometimes you just kind of pull from what we do and don't know and just make up a truth that sounds like the best option. So a lot of these things are just going to be part of the speculation zone. The, the voodoo queen Marie Laveau was probably born in 1801, but she was born free because she was, uh, she was born to a Creole woman of Native American, African, and French descent named Marguerite and a white man named Charles Laveau Trudeau. Marie was born in the French Quarter of New Orleans, where her parents were both well-known and respected people of the community. Marguerite was a practitioner of voodoo, and Charles would eventually serve as mayor of New Orleans. Damn! Wow. Marie was married to Jacques Paris, a French immigrant who fled St. Domingue after the Haitian Revolution, because... Do Do you mean Jacques? Jacques. Yeah, Jacques. Jacques Paris yeah. was his name. A French immigrant who fled St. Domingue after the Haitian Revolution because, and I think this is probably the only time this has happened, the war in uh, modern day Haiti caused a bunch of white refugees who just had to get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Serves us right for once. Yeah, because <laughs> what just happened is that the Haitians were like, no you guys suck <laughs> get out of our country you can't dance you keep under seasoning your food get <laughs> out <laughs> you suck man uh so yeah Jacques Paris uh had to get the fuck out of Haiti and he was probably also a dickhead so Marie claims that her husband died and declared herself a widow in like 1824 however it's also possible that the dude just left and took their daughters and to save face she told everyone that he died because there really is no record of anything but there also is no record of him past 1820 so marie was described as both beautiful and having good features which seems like it's fucking uh synonymous but at the time having good features meant you looked more white than black which is a shitty Mm. fucking thing to say but at the time, she was hailed as desirable, and again, at the time, losing her husband would be super embarrassing for a woman that was, like, notable and beautiful. Sometime after 1824, Marie began working as a hairdresser, serving the wealthy white and Creole woman of New Orleans. It was here that she gained the secrets from her clients about their husbands, lovers, estates, and lives. Ooh. And it's also here that I want to pitch uh, my new A&E show. It's called Marie Laveau's I Know What You Did. <laughs> and basically, we just cut women's hair, and then they tell us their lives, and then, and then we go, I know what you did. And then Andy Cohen shows up with a hook for a hand, and oh, he's yeah. like, let's talk about it live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I want to make that a movie slash show. Five unnecessary sequels. Um, eventually, Marie left her job as a hairdresser when she remarried and gave birth to... Okay, again, here's another thing. So she either had... She either had seven children and then... What is that? Eight grandchildren? Or she had 15 children. Interesting. Uh, when you paused, I thought you were going to say that she gave birth to like a gator or something. So I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of glad it was just kids. Yeah, she was known as the Voodoo Queen because she done popped out a gator, and we were like, "Whoa, I'm, 
Damn, I've never seen that shit before in my goddamn life. And Gator she's like, no- he takes after his daddy. Get- I was I was gonna say this is beautiful Gator, and I will name her Justice, and she will forever be known as Gator Justice. Gator Lawo. Uh, <laughs> come on, come uh, on. <laughs> you better turn that crocodile down. Turn that dial down, like volume. Do you get it? Hi, my name is Jeff Bozak, and I am an audio engineer from Louisiana. Uh, I have a deep, rich history. That has been implemented in this podcast. That's my new character. Oh, okay. Yeah. It sounded like our gator lawyer. And I was just like, when did he go to audio engineering school? Marie began to make charms and carry out rituals based around Voodoo, which she learned from another famous practitioner of New Orleans voodoo named Dr. John. Dr. John is um, one of the most famous famous voodoo kings from new orleans and they said that his power was so great that he was able to bring people back from the dead which is where we get the rumor or urban legend of the new orleans zombie yeah that's pretty tight Zombie also takes its name from a loa of uh, West African Vudan. She took what she learned from Dr. John and she combined it heavily with Catholic and Christian beliefs because that made it super palatable to the upper class white and Creole women that she had as customers. Um, because that's the thing is that voodoo kind of had a bad rap at this time. Oh, for the record too, this is like right after the Louisiana Purchase, like just right after. So there's this thing where you have the Anglo-Americans who are coming in and they're in charge of everything. But the people who are the most wealthy and most respected are all like Creole women. So you can be an American man and be in charge, but if you don't have the respect of the Creole women, you can't do shit in this town. That's to me. That was just pretty cool. It's pretty dope. Is mm-hmm. that America came in and the whole town was like, "I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna go get my hair done. And tell them that I done fucked a guy named Brad." <laughs> so it is the fil- or it is the soundtrack. The soundtrack of this would be Lemonade, right? Yeah, okay. pretty much. Thank you. Who names a gator Brad? <laughs> <laughs> this is Brad Laveau. Uh, she he was birthed from Marie Laveau. Have you been in a swamp boat accident? Have you been injured in the workplace? <laughs> Call Brad Laveau, gator lawyer dealing in personal injury and annuities. Have you been wrongfully racially biased as a crocodile? Call me, Brad Laveau, gator justice. <laughs> I will fight for you. I will fight tooth and claw for you. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Take a bite at a crime. (laughs) I'm here to take both a bite out of crime and McGruff the crime dog himself. I will eat your dog. We'll get your settlements in a snap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my fucking Christ. Oh, fuck. That's so good. (laughs) so of the 15 voodoo queens of new orleans at the time marie laveau was known as the queen of voodoo she used her powers to get she used her powers um and used the spirit world to know everything about everyone in the city and she also used charms and rituals that were so powerful it was said at the time that they could get literally anything done 
But speculation zone, it's pretty likely that she just used her time as a hairdresser yeah, to say, acquire all of the information. She a gossipy ass bitch. Yeah, because here's the thing that you, I love it. Here's the thing that you learn either um, in high school or watching any reality show is that secrets are worth their weight in gold. If mm-hmm. you have secrets, you can trade those secrets to get more secrets, and then you just have more secrets. So, uh, she has a deep wealth of secrets that she probably was able to facilitate certain things for her clients through just her social clout alone. Like, she knew everything about everyone, but she probably just knew everything about everyone. Yeah. And it was said that her rituals and charms could get anything done. But, I mean, if you're, like, the top person in your fucking city, you can probably just facilitate that shit through, like blackmail or like hey i'll tell you who uh hey you want to know who brad the gator lawyer's fucking (laughs) turns out rebecca the rabbit nurse what (laughs) what is this what is this zootopia fan fiction we've just spun she was out she was out in the swamp looking like a snack (laughs) she let her ears down One thing you could say about Marie Laveau is that she understood the power of appearance. All right. She, it was a quote that I found from a New Orleans boy, and that's all it said. It was just a New Orleans boy who is what I can just assume is a smartly dressed, like a newsies cap, and he's just walking around going, Alcohol here? I'm a New Orleans boy. She, she walked around New Orleans like she owned the city. She also reportedly wore a snake around her neck named Zombie. Awesome. Yeah, which is that's pretty honestly dope. this is the coolest shit. Because yeah. here's the thing: snake dudes, dudes who own snake, weird Creepy. as fuck. Terrifying. Snake women hot. always have a pony. Hot as fuck. Yeah, I was gonna say snake dudes always have a ponytail. Snake women, Britney Spears <laughs> at the height of her career. Is that bald? What is that? Pre-bald? No, this is, this is pre-bald. This is slave for you, Britney, at the VMAs with that yellow ass snake, making us all wish we were her. I, I'm, yeah, I'm the here for it. The snakes, though, is they poop whenever and wherever. I've whenever, never seen a snake poop. Wherever. I've They're seen always it. pooping everywhere. <laughs> it's really gross. <laughs> it's very gross. My brother had a pet snake. So, in reality, she was probably just a member of the social elite, but her image made her stand out as a symbol for New Orleans voodoo. Marie Laveau died in 1881 at the age of 79. That's old for that time in history. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. She lived a great life. Like, back then a fucking sneeze could kill you. So the fact that she made it that long, good for you, bitch. Especially spending that much time with snakes. Yeah, I was gonna say, (laughs) back then and now, a snake could kill you. (laughs) Uh, She was buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 in New Orleans. Her tomb, which sits in Plot 347, it's still littered with the marks of exes in accordance with a decades-old tradition. See, if you want Marie Laveau to grant you a wish, you draw an X on a grave. Then you turn around three times, knock on her tomb, and you yell out your wish. If it is granted, you come back and you circle your X and you leave Laveau an offering. What I really wanted to see while we were there is somebody to like write an X, turn around three times, and just go like... I wish I didn't have herpes. And then... (laughs) I wish I could be a human again instead of stuck in this gator form. Man, this story is evolving. With my rabbit wife. 
I like the deep, rich history. That <laughs> <laughs> he was like, like it's a Beauty and the Beast scenario. Like he was like, I was just a simple country lawyer, but then I was too highfalutin, and so a witch cursed me, and now I'm forced to roam the swamps chasing ambulances. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I just thought of a new tagline. The scales of justice just oh! got scalier. Oh! <laughs> yes! yes! So. Shirts, shirts, shirts. shirts. <laughs> Was Marie Laveau a powerful woman who used her influence to make things happen? Maybe. Was she truly the queen of voodoo who used magic to utilize the spirits to do her bidding? Maybe. Either way, she herself has become one of the ancestors that are now worshipped by those who practice voodoo. So whether or not the spirit world is right next to ours, Marie Laveau's spirit will live on forever. Aw, that's a sweet one. I like yeah. the end of this. Yeah, this was pretty good. This is a cult where no one's sad. Well, I mean, except no, for no, all no. the this slavery. No, 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 this is a cult with just okay. decades this, and this centuries is, okay. of okay. Wait, let me rephrase Like, the that. first 40 minutes of this is very sad. Can I oh, have yeah, a second yeah, yeah. go? This is a cult that is not directly responsible for a lot of murder. That's also not true. Yeah. <laughs> I left Wait, out the what? fact that... Uh, I don't they trust that her. snake. <laughs> Yeah, the Haitian Revolution, a, a lot of deaths. Uh, both sides, too. A lot of deaths. Because that's the thing, is that uh, at one point in the Haitian Revolution, the only parts of uh, St. Domingue that were safe were fortified white sanctuaries. And it took white people a long time to militia, or form a militia, I guess, and then fight back. And even still, they fucking lost. So there was a lot of deaths on both sides. Here's the thing, though, is, like, in a lot of the cults we covered, the deaths of people are often followers or just innocent people, and the deaths are without reason. Right. Whereas, like, in the Haitian Revolution, that is... A war. It's a war, and it's in the service of justice. Yeah, the service of gator justice. If yeah, you that's yeah. exactly that was, what I That was a fairly important <laughs> time joke. For, for those white people trying to defend like a norms or some shit. Like when you said white sanctuaries, I was just like, where would white people congregate? <laughs> and I was like, what is this like a Starbucks in the fall? And they're just like, you will not breach our walls. The only, the only, <laughs> the year was 1789. The only place we could be safe, Bristol Farm. <laughs> I will stand my ground in this Trader Joe's. I will eat my JoJo's even though they taste like shit. My dearest Remington, I do fear that forces are about to breach the walls of our dearest Panera Bread. I do not know if I will look upon thy visage again, but I do know that my love will endure. Like the crust of a bread bowl. <laughs> like asking them to put that macaroni and cheese inside a bread bowl like the carby bitch I am. <laughs> Dearest Brad, I write to you from inside of this apple care. I don't know what will come first, the end of this war or my ticket number. All I know is that I have to buy a new dongle because iPhones don't have inputs for headphones anymore. Pro tip, Target. <laughs> I hope to one day look upon your scaly body. <laughs> your dearest, Rabbit Rebecca. Aww. Aww. So, uh, yeah, I also want it to be known that I did this entire episode while stealing sips of water from my uh, voodoo mug. 
That is a pretty cool mug. It's pretty great. I'll post a picture of it. It's it says good. voodoo onto others before they voodoo onto you. The only downside is it doesn't have a dick hole like your other voodoo mug. Oh, yeah. My voodoo donut mug? <laughs> it's not a dick hole. It's a donut hole, first of all. Secondly. Yeah, do not put your dick in there. <laughs> yes. It will get stuck. Yes. She's had to drive me to the hospital. <laughs> and my doctor was a crocodile. <laughs> Not just lawyers. They're moving on up. Uh, to that scaly apartment in the sky. Okay. Aww. Well, uh, if you guys want to go explore a swamp or anywhere else where you might see like a snake named zombie, whatever you want to do, uh, what you got to do is you got to get outdoor apparel and gear from Open Skies Trading Company. <laughs> Open Skies Trading Co. is our first ever sponsor here on Cult Podcast. Not only do they sell some of the sickest gear and apparel, they are also great at printing. That's right. They're the printers for our Om Shinrikyo poster, and we'll probably continue to print stuff through them in the future. Um, also, if you like doing good things... Every purchase you make from Open Skies Trading Company, they will donate $1 to the National Parks Foundation, which is in charge of helping out our national parks. One of these national parks is the swamp that Andrea and I visited while we were in New Orleans, and we actually held an alligator. It was super fun and really beautiful. Did you do your taxes or, like, you know, do a a prenup (laughs) or some shit? No, he was a kid. Uh, No, she was a kid, actually. She was a young gal. Actually, most gators are women. We learned that. Yeah, we learned that. 15 to 1, ladies. I mean, get them into STEM and law, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, if you want to help out national parks like that, or any beautiful national parks that aren't currently being taken over by the Bundy family, then (laughs) please buy something from Open Skies Training Company. Donate $1 to your National Parks Foundation. You can find their stuff at openskiestrading.com. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram under Open Skies Trading Co. That's Open Skies Trading Co. The awesome thing, too, if you like national parks, if you're passionate about it, they have some amazing national parks posters on their site. Oh, fuck I scoped it out. They're very cool looking. I was talking with the printer, who's our friend Alex, uh, Andre and I, our friend Alex. Um, and he, he was taught, we were talking about the design of the Ohm Shinrigio poster, which are being printed right now. As we speaketh. And he was saying that it's good to work on something that's not super difficult. And I was like, oh, thank God. I really thought these were really, really difficult. And he goes, dude, I make these posters that I design myself. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? What the fuck am I doing? (laughs) So... He puts a lot of work into them, and he's They're a perfectionist gorgeous. just like me. So I, when, if you check them out, I'm sure you're going to fall in love with it. Buy some gear. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a poster. It'll look good wherever. They're also really affordable. It sounds like they're expensive. No, they're, they're like gorgeous. Bucks. Yeah. They're really great. The coolest thing, too, is like they're all hand done. Like He's yeah. not printing this from a computer. These are screen printed, f- several different colors, several different screens. Each they're one beautiful. has minor differences differences that make it unique and completely its own so i really really again go to openskiestrading.com or instagram or facebook open skies trading co if you want to find something way less wholesome and useful then you can find my social media uh that's available on instagram and twitter at mondo does stuff m-a-n-d-o does stuff if you want more Civil War wife letters from white places, like a, I don't know, like a Barnes and Noble or 
some sort of tennis club, uh, you can hit me up <laughs> at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram. Uh, in cult podcasts, uh, in the cult podcast group, can we please just sound off? Can people just sound off with their Civil War from White Places letters? Oh my oh, God! Yeah, yes. <laughs> please write Bring your own. Them forward. <laughs> write your own. Send them to us. I want to hear all about how you suffered on a tennis court. Uh, <laughs> if you can make like an old-fashioned name, like the, the thing is, is I want you to write them as yourself. But, like, give yourself just an old-fashioned sounding name. You know what I mean? My dearest Eugenia. (laughs) (laughs) I sit in this Starbucks and I wonder, was the the extra $2 I paid for an espresso shot worth it? As I try on turtlenecks in this land's end, (laughs) I look at this flannel and wonder, where have I been in my life? Okay, fantastic. I sit inside of this old navy. (laughs) And I think to myself, what would it be like to be a new Navy? (laughs) Perhaps even a mildly old turquoise. (laughs) If you want to send me your Civil War letters or voodoo charms or uh, maybe a voodoo charm for true love. Oh, wait. Uh, I think it's that mug. Like, I don't know if you know. (laughs) I think it's the mug. No, if you want to send me your voodoo charms for true love uh, or better snacks, cuter gators, whatever. (laughs) uh, The voodoo charm for better snacks is just a stone that says at wrap snacks. (laughs) Gators is just a pair of glasses because they're already cute. Please mail me a cute gator. Uh, If you want to send it to me, just get at me at Sundress Comic. I'm also doing some sweet photoshops. I was on Mean Boys last week. You guys should go check that out. If you oh. liked Keith Carey's episode for Manson. Uh, Fantastic Photoshop with that Hell one. yeah. Also, if you like uh, the sound of me and Andrea's voice and you want to see more of it, uh, Andrea and I will be in San Diego the day this comes out, Monday the 10th. Yes? Yes. Monday the 10th, we will be in San Diego at the Kensington Club on Adams Avenue doing the Bucket Show, where it's not like just us doing normal stand-up. We will be on stage together riffing on material that's sent to us by the crowd. So if you like both of us riffing on this podcast and you want to see it kind of like a weird live version of it, come on through and watch us do it at the Kensington Club. The Kensington Club, 8 p.m., San Diego, California, on Adams Avenue, and we'll post that stuff online. Also, Tuesday, I will be at Roast Battle. Uh, We're doing the main event. Not me and Andrea. I'm doing the main event, but I'm pretty sure Andrea will be there. Um, Paige sometimes comes? Yeah. Yeah. When they let me in? When they let you in. Yeah, the Roast Battle is kind of dumb. But uh, (laughs) I love doing it. I'll be there on Tuesday the 11th and... Yes, 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 yes. If you like cult podcasts, you want to learn more about us being places, you want to learn more about cult podcasts, you want to see whatever great graphic we make this week. Last week it was a next profile for Charles Manson. It was one of my favorite things ever. I feel like this week it's going to be a gator in a Victorian dress writing a letter. Oh, oh my God. fucking on that. Uh, then you can follow us on Instagram at cult podcast. Or on Twitter at Cult Podcast Show. You can also find us online at our brand new website, cultpodcastshow.com, where I promise, I swear to God, I'm fucking going to write another article. We're going to do it on Madame Lalaoui. I already have it started. You can learn about the murder madam herself and all of the things that Code Noir were supposed to prevent and did not. 
You can also send us an email at coldpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or you can send us actual stuff. Uh, true story, I am now building a wall of car- cult artifacts in my house. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. We could have a cult museum. Exactly. So if you have cult shit, send it to us at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like, like The, the Shining. Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And also, Rap Snacks, if you out there... We love you. Please send us more rap snacks. Oh hey, God. everyone, keep tweeting at rap snacks. Keep because tweeting at rap snacks. I but checked their engagement, and we're giving them more engagement than they're used to getting. So fucking just keep, <laughs> keep, keep finding them, keep sending tweeting. them out, keep fucking making this shit happen. If uh, I feel like if we get just a couple more tweets, we can get either some money or some free rap snacks. I'm fucking down for either. I'm I'm really more in it for the free rap snacks. I want to yeah, be yeah, paid yeah. solely in Fetty Wap snacks. Yeah, oh, they're so good. Yeah, so... Uh, they have well, a 24 flavor pack for Christmas. Get on that shit! Uh, so, for this one, I'm going to say don't drink the swamp juice. Oh, God, man. I looked at the swamp water. It looked like slurm from Futurama. Oh! <laughs> Just like fermented surge. Yeah! <laughs> oh, God. It looked like Mountain Dew gone good. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> It's got the froth on top of it like it came from a tap. Yeah, it's like, you know, skim milk? It's skim Mountain Dew. Oh. It's just, it's steamed. Oh. My side hurts just thinking about it. Oh, man. Starbucks, get at me. Yeah. Oh, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. I'm sick. That was bad. I'm so sorry. That's okay.